All right, good morning, everyone. We could grab our seats here. How are you guys doing? Well, happy December. Christmas season is upon us. There's Christmas things all around. I know it's a very crazy season for a lot of us with, with parties and gatherings and, and whatnot. And so uh, enjoy the season. Take it in. Uh, be present in the moments. I think it would be overwhelming at times too, right? Like every weekend, like our family, every weekend we have something going on right now. And so uh, I know that it could be just the motions of going from one activity to the other, but really take this time to just be with people, be with friends, be with family, and, and uh, really take in that, those moments together. Because uh, ultimately it's about people, right? All right, so we're almost finished our Roman series here, um, and then we're going to be finishing off the last two chapters. Uh, Alex is going to wrap up 16, and then uh, the week before Christmas, I'm going to kind of just wrap up the entire book. But today we're going to look at chapter 15. And so if you have your uh, Bibles with you, turn with me to chapter 15. Growing up in, uh, in school, Oftentimes, in every single classroom that uh, I was ever a part of, there were, is always this poster on the wall, and it was always called the golden rule of how we t- treat, we treat each other, right? And so most of us know this golden rule because at one point in your life, it was either spoken or taught to you, and it's simply this, do to others what you would have them do to you. It's not complicated. It simply says, treat others how you would like to be treated. Right. I remember there's this uh, story to, well, I guess it's a fairy tale. I'm not sure if it's a fairy tale or a poem, uh, but I read it in grade three or four, and it's by the Brothers Grimm, and it was called The Old Man and His Grandson. And the, the, the story, very short, goes somewhat like this. This old man, And this old man is very old in his age, and he wasn't really able to eat properly. He would spill, and he would uh, make a mess at the table. And so his son and his wife, disgusted by the way that he ate, decided to put him into the corner behind the stove. And this old man would look at the table, and he would cry. But they gave him a bowl in which to eat, and the old man dropped this bowl, and this bowl broke. And it was only met with the son's wife scolding him. And so they got him a wooden bowl to eat out of. Then one day, the grandson of the old man began to dig a trough beside the old man dig a trough on the ground and started gathering some wood pieces to put together. And the father asked him, what are you doing? And his son's reply was, I'm making this for you and mom to eat out of when I grow up. The man and his wife got the message very quickly. And he just, they decided to move the old man back to the table. And that old man always ate with the rest of the family, no matter what mess he made. I believe this story really captures that idea of how we are to treat others. 
The heart of Romans 15 captures this idea of this golden rule in which Jesus gives us on the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew 7, verse 12. It says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So today as we go into 15, let's keep this in mind. But let's open up in prayer and uh, we'll dive in here. Father God, we come before you as a church to hear what you have to say to us. So Lord, let our ears be open and our hearts be transformed through your word in, in, in scripture, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just ask for you to fill our hearts with your love, your grace, your mercy as we sit with your word today. Lord, may we be a church that is attentive to your heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we look at Romans 15 today, really Romans 14 and 15 kind of work together. What Paul is essentially trying to address is this division in the church. We've been talking about there's this division in the Roman church uh, since we started this series. And so what we have is we have the Jewish Christians and then we have the Gentile Christians. And right now in, in the Roman church, as Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church, it is primarily Gentile Christians with Jewish Christians coming back into the city. So we look at history. At one point, uh, the Roman church kind of got divided because the Jews were kicked out of Rome. And now the, 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 those Jewish people are now coming back into Rome. And now they're, they're, they're faced in this place where there's more Gentiles than there are Jewish people in this church. And the customs are very different. The, the way that we observe who Jesus is is very different. And Paul is trying to address this idea of them coming together and being of one church. And so, when we were look, when, so what we have to understand is that culturally, we have these Gentile Christians that has come to faith after serving different gods. And they bring this different cultural background. And the difference here between the two groups are, are mainly religious. In the first century church, the Jewish Christians practiced what all the other Jewish people practiced. And they brought these practices into the Christian church. And these three practices were unique to the Jewish people. And those three practices are mainly circumcision, food laws, and Sabbath, observ uh, and Sabbath observance. Okay? And so... Paul, in chapter 14, if you remember, Pastor Andrew preached about this two weeks ago, he uses the, this, this example of food laws as things that can divide, but instead of using them as places of division, we need to use them as places where we could serve each other, where we could actually uh, respect each other and not cause each other to stumble, right? I remember when I was doing my undergrad in Winnipeg, oftentimes it's there wasn't this ability to go home for Christmas and Easter. And there was this family that, uh, one of my friend's family oftentimes took a lot of us students who didn't have family in the city uh, in for Thanksgiving and Easter. I remember going there, my entire four years we went there to, to their house, to his grandparents' house for, for, for these meals. And then like all the family would come, and there's a bunch of students and it would be this, this big gathering I remember my first year there, I noticed that uh, 
all of my friends and their cousins, like my friend and their cousins all bring in water bottles and like thermoses. Didn't think anything of it and they all brought this. It's not like today where everybody carries a Stanley Cup, right? Uh, but it, it was just, they, they would bring these random water bottles and stuff. Didn't think anything of it. And then I started to notice that they would sometimes take these water bottles and they would pour it into their juice. Okay, pouring water, watering down your juice. I don't know, maybe it's some things that your family does that's weird. And I remember after, like, the first Thanksgiving, didn't think anything. Easter, I asked my friend, what are you guys, what are you guys doing? And like, well, my grandparents don't like us drinking. They don't like to have alcohol in the house at all. And so... All of my cousins and I, we bring our own alcohol and we spike our own juices. And so inside every single one of these water bottles is some kind of... <laughs> is some kind of clear alcohol that uh, they're able to have. And I'm like, well, why do you guys do that? He's like, well, we're not trying to be... We're not trying to be rebellious. We just like a little bit of drink with our meal. And we want to respect our grandparents. And so this method is actually what our parents told us to do. <laughs> and I was like, oh. So the Thanksgivings and Easter's after that, I brought a water bottle with me as well. <laughs> but it's this idea of respecting what is in place and not offending what was already established in that household. And saying, yes, we could do things, but we don't want to cause trouble in those places. Right? So as we look at Romans 15, Paul starts off by saying, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but it is, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Paul tells us in this passage that for those that are strong to bear with those that are weak. What, this is, what, what Paul is trying to emphasize here is this call for us to come in with humility, to come with selflessness to serve each other. Remember that our journey is not just about our personal salvation, but our spiritual journey is a collective of walking alongside our brothers and sisters in their struggles as well. It is recognizing that we are all broken, that every single one of us sitting in this church is all broken, and, and that we, we are all works in progress. But it is in this community here that we're able to support one another 
So Paul says, if you're strong in your faith in one area, help your neighbor and build them up. That's what Paul is saying. Help your neighbor, build them up. Help your, your, your brothers and sisters. If you see someone that's struggling in their faith, come alongside them and walk with them in their, in, in their faith. One of the things that I've learned and continue to learn is that the golden rule of do unto others as you would have to, them do to you is not just about don't do the things that you don't want them to do to you. That's, that's not enough. It, always, it also requires us to understand where they are so that you understand their emotions and their desires and that you build them up from where they're at. The idea that you are building them up, that you are loving them out of this selfless attitude and not one that is just giving a solution. I've learned over the years in marriage that I really suck at this. That when my wife is going through tough things and hard things, I often find myself doing the wrong thing. And this is the reason. The reason is because I try to give advice or comfort from a very objective point of view in which the solution is always perceived as easy and that we just need to do steps one, two, and three. Or if you just look at it this way, the problem will be solved. 10 times out of 10 times, I make things worse. And my wife is now not only going through the hard things that she's struggling with, but now she's also angry with me because she feels like I don't care or that I have minimized her struggles. And as much of as much as this is not my heart in it, because genuinely I want to help her and bring her comfort and love, what happens is that I love her through my lens and not her lens. To sit and understand and to meet people where they are is what we're called to do here. We're called to build each other up because this mirrors the very nature of how Jesus did it. Because Paul says Jesus did not please himself, but the reproaches of those who, who reproached you fell on me. Which means, in other words, the insults of those who, who insulted you fell on me, or Jesus is saying, I took on the troubles of your trouble. So the question when we come to these places is not, this is what you need to do, but is, how can I help? Not how do I solve your, your, your hardship or how do I answer the questions that you're, going, you're dealing through or dealing with, but to answer the question of how can I help? What is it, what is it that this person, whether it's your wife or a fellow brother or sister or a friend, what is it that they need to come to a place of healing or wholeness? And then how do my actions contribute to building them up? We are here to imitate Jesus, to consider others before ourselves. 
This is hard work. It's not easily solved because it often requires us to have patience and sit with each other, bearing the burden together. It is empathy, it is caring, it is loving. When we look at it sometimes, we think about how we need to do it. It awesome, oftentimes feels very bothersome. You know, it's that idea of, oh, why can't they just get it? Why can't they just see it? Why can't they just come to that same place of, of my understanding and see it? Because oftentimes when we're not in that situation, our emotions are not tied to it, and emotions tend to keep us there. Emotions tend to keep us in these places, and when we decide that these are the steps that you need to take, and these, this is objectively, you, you could just see beyond that. Objectively, this is your situation, so this is what you need to do. How does that person feel when you just say, this is your solution? They'll often feel like you've written them off. They'll often feel like you don't genuinely care. They often feel like you don't fully understand the scope of what is actually going on in their lives and they begin to put up their guards and we wonder why people put up their guards in those places. It's because we come to them and say, these are the solutions that you need and Jesus never did that. If we look time and time again and in the Bible when we read these stories, sometimes we only get a a snapshot, a picture of what Jesus is doing or a snap phrase of what Jesus is doing. But if we look at Jesus' ministry, oftentimes we see that Jesus not only goes to minister to the people, he often stays with the people. He often invites himself over to their house and he has a meal. And we don't get the dialogue of what happens in those places, but I am sure that Jesus slowly and patiently meets the hardship and carries that burden with them. We see that when Zacchaeus was in the tree trying to see Jesus, Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says, come down from the tree and I am coming to your house for dinner tonight. Why? Because Jesus wanted to meet Zacchaeus in a place where it was personal, where it was in his space. That Jesus didn't define the space, but that Zacchaeus defined the place, and Jesus entered into that space. Same with the woman at the well. When Jesus called her out on her sin, what happened is that the entire ministry of Jesus was diverted into Samaria, and Jesus spent days in Samaria ministering to people. Sometimes when we read Scripture and we say, oh, Jesus just healed things. And yes, Jesus just did that. He brought healing right away. It was instantaneous, but at the same time, Jesus took time to work with people. And sometimes, as a church, we hate taking time. We don't want to give our time. We want the quick solutions. We want the, the well, just, just do this, just pray. Yes, all of those things are good but are we actually meeting people where they're at? Are we slowing down sometimes? We live in this fast-paced world already and sometimes these solutions are not 
not quit. Sometimes it takes time for us to be able to sit and walk with each other. And Paul understood this because Paul goes on and he says, I completely lost my place. Sorry, guys, give me a second here. He goes on and he says, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instructions that through what endurance and through the encouragement of Scripture, okay, that we have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. Paul knows this is hard work. Paul knows that this, is, this will take time, and he's like, let, the, let Scripture, and then also let the endurance of God help you through this. Why does he use the word endurance? It's because this journey is not quick. You need to have endurance in this place. That when we are going through hardship, we personally need the endurance, but as we're helping others through it too, we also need the endurance to encourage. I know some counseling situations could get very long. There's a particular counseling situation I was in. It was over two years. It's two years of just talking, sitting, being. And it was long, and there were days where after a while, I was just like, this is going nowhere. I can't continue to do this. I can't continue to, to help them. They're not willing to be helped. But that's my, that's my vision. That's my lens. That's not God's lens. That's my lens. I'm tired, but they're still going through it. That person is still going through it. So what do I need to do? I have to have that endurance. I need to ask God for that endurance of encouragement to continue to sit and say, you, you might not get it right now, but God still loves you and he still cares for you. And I, we want to help you get through this. And then week after week, all of a sudden there's a breakthrough. There's a release. There's this understanding that comes in. And slowly it comes and it comes and but sometimes we, we just don't have that endurance to sit through that. We don't want to. Because it takes so much of our time. But Paul says, no, you have to have this endurance because there's hope in it. This is the way that Jesus did things. This is the way that that Jesus led in his example. And Paul writes, this is, this is how Jesus did things, okay? So us as a church, we need to continue to do it this, to, to continue to do it this way. I think that sometimes when Christians and as the church disagrees with each other, it's because oftentimes we're not willing to endure and encourage in seeking after unity or harmony that the church splits that we see, the divisions within the church that we, we, we were, we're living in right now, is because one side always feels that they're right and the other side is wrong. And instead of coming to a place and taking the time to build each other up, we decide that we're just gonna go our separate ways. 
But Paul urges the church to be of one voice to glorify God. When we look at the church, especially from an outsider's point of view, the church feels fragmented and it feels confusing to look at because why are there so many denominations? Why are there so many different views and different theologies and different ways of doing things? I think that oftentimes it's because the church is closed-minded when it comes to things that don't align with how we preach. We forget the idea of come as you are, but yet we don't, and we preach the idea of come as you are, but we don't actually allow people to be as they are. Yet in verse seven, Paul says, welcome others as Christ welcomed you, or in other versions it says, accept others as Christ accepts you. The passage then continues to go on and say this, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I praise you among the Gentiles and I sing your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul highlights this inclusivity of God and confirming the covenant that was made with the Jews. Okay? Because, the Jew, because Jesus first came to show the truth and his faithfulness of God by fulfilling the promise of the patriarchs to them, then allowing the Gentiles to come in. So Paul points this out, that this was always God's plan. All of those things that we see in Romans 15, the letters he wrote, I've given you all the references in, throughout the Old Testament in which God has already planned this out, that this was always part of God's plan, that the Gentiles were always going to come in, that it was not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, that Paul says right now, and he continues the rest of chapter 15, in this idea, it's almost like this little... Uh, itinerary that he gives them. He's saying that right now I need to focus on the Gentiles because this is what God has called me to do. That my ministry is in Macedonia. It's in, I'm going to go to Spain. I have to go back to Jerusalem right now. But my job right now is to bring this message of restoration and redemption to the rest of the world. And so therefore, I can't be with you. Remember, Paul has never met the Roman church. He's never been to the Roman church. He's writing this letter because there's some people that he knows in the Roman church, but he has never actually met the Roman church. He knows that there's this, there's, there's this disunity in there, and so he's trying to encourage this church. And he says in verse 15, he's like, I hope that when I go to Spain that I could come by and see you guys because he's never met them yet. But what Paul 
is saying is that this inclusivity, and this is speaking to the Jewish people, he's saying that, yes, Jesus came as a fulfillment of the prophetic words and the covenant, the, the, the promises that are made to the patriarchs, to, your, to, to, to generations prior to you. This is the fulfillment of that. But God also said that I'm here to save the entirety of the world. That is not just for the Jews, but it's also for those that are outside of the Jewish culture. What we get here in Romans 15, I believe in Romans 14 and 15, it's just we see Paul's heart to just bring people together. He says that the church needs to have one voice. One voice. One voice that will bring glory to who he is. And so when we look at the church that, we, that, that is part of our, our culture right now, do we have one voice? I say we're close to having one voice. I think in some of the things that we we're doing, we have one voice. But I don't think we're fully there yet. I think that it is important for us to sit with people and come to a mutual understanding. I don't think we need to fully agree. I don't think that's what Paul is calling us to. But I do believe that Paul is calling us to understanding. Calling us to a place of understanding so that unity could be there. Calling us to a place of loving each other and bearing with each other calling us to a place of walking alongside each other, calling us to a place where we are to carry each other's burdens. I believe Paul is calling us to a selfless pursuit of unity that embodies the teachings of Jesus and how we love others and how we relate to one another. And that in relating to each other, it is to build each other up to find that one voice so that God can be glorified. There's an empowerment that the church needs by the Holy Spirit through grace that we need to be agents of unity and ambassadors of the love of God. So we need to ask for more of God's love, more of God's grace, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to give us the endurance and the encouragement to live in harmony. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we just lift this into your hands. Lord, we know that you want us to live in unity. We know that you want us to live in a place where we love each other. We know that the church is a reflection of how you love. 
So Lord, we ask for more of your grace, more of your love, so that we can overflow that grace and love to each other. So Lord, as we come before you as a church, we just ask for you to continue to encourage, but give us the endurance of encouragement so that we're able to walk out Jesus' example on earth. That we can be salt and light wherever we go. That whatever the church does, that glory goes to you. Lord, may your, may your church, may we as your church, be a people that represents who you are for those that have not seen yet, for those that have not heard. So Lord, we want to give you all our worship. We want to give you all our praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, time is one of the most precious things that we have. And, you know, I think it's fitting that you know, you look to Jesus, you know, he's kind of the example, he's the answer to kind of every good question, and you you sit there and think about the demands on him, you know, he could have had a full-time healing ministry, he could have had a full-time prophetic ministry, he could have been a carpenter, you know, he could have spoken in temples, he could have done so many things, and he did all of them kind of all at the same time, but he also never hesitated to take time for prayer. You know, we see often in the word it says, and he went away to pray. So he always knew what his priorities were. But we also see that, you know, as John said with Zacchaeus and the woman on the well, he never hesitated to take the time to truly make sure that what he was expressing came across. And, you know, the story of Zacchaeus is, you know, one we we sing of as a kid. It had a kind of fun song. But it's such a powerful testimony because I believe in that moment Jesus saw the loneliness of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had all the money. He had a, a title. He was, you know, an important man, but he was loathed and hated because of that role. And so, you know, Jesus saw right through to him and, and said, I'm coming to your house. We're going to fill your house with people. We're going we're gonna to surround you with love. And I think that is, you know, that's what John's saying here is, is that, you know, we, we need to take that extra step. It's not enough to say, okay, I'm not going to punch you so that you don't punch me. It's I want to love on you in the hopes that you and somebody else loves on me in the same way. And that's what the church is about. And this is what, what Jesus was about. It was about teaching us to look beyond ourselves and to look into others. And it's a it's a hard call. It's it's a it's not an easy thing. People people are unlovable sometimes, um, at least from our opinion, not from Jesus's. To be clear on that, um, but the other thing is Jesus said is that He's never going to leave us alone, and we don't do this alone, and He doesn't want us to try and do it alone. So this is where we this is where we push into Him and say, okay, Lord, what do they what do they need? How do I understand them? 
myself, like John, I can tell you stories of Jesse telling me a problem and I came up with a thousand solutions and they were all brilliant and none of them helped what was the root of her problem. Most of it, it was she just wanted to talk to me. So me running off to fix it didn't help. Um, but this is exactly what, what we're called to as a church too. We're not, you know, we're not, we're not meant to come in like, um, like a special forces team and just come in, fix it and leave. There, there's a process there and, and, and it takes time and that's where you know, John was talking about endurance. You know, we need to have the endurance to stay in the battle, to stay in the prayer as long as it's needed to see it come out. And we believe that it will come out. That, that is promised many, many times. So Lord, we just come to you this morning and we just lay to you the people that you are going to put in our paths. Lord, we lay before you the situations and the trials that need your endurance. And Lord, when we come to the end of ourselves, this is where we lean on you, but Lord, we want to come to you before we come to the end of ourselves. We don't want to struggle, fail, and then come to you, Lord. We want to take this moment to say, Lord, lead the way. Show us. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. You have given this church and, and all of these people so many gifts. And Lord, you are just begging for the chances to use them. So Lord, open our, our ears. Make us, make us willing. Lord, you, as you said to so many times to Joshua, that we would be bold and courageous and step into these moments knowing that you are right beside us, that you have gone ahead, that you are coming behind, and that you are also in us all at the same time. And so, Lord, we just, um, we just ask that you show us how to love on people, Lord, how to understand and go beyond the words, but to understand what you are truly leading us towards and understanding in them. And, Lord, this is where it's not about us saying something. It, it, it's, we know it's all you, but, Lord, we want to be vessels. Lord, the water can't sometimes get to the place without a vessel, and so we don't know why you picked us, but, Lord, we're so grateful you did. And so, Lord, use us as great tools to your ministry. Use us to build your kingdom. Use us to create moments where you can open up the heavens overhead and pour out upon us, because, Lord, we are a world that needs you more and more. More and more we need you, Lord. We we see our, our broken, abject ways, and Lord, we are appalled, but yet we see such glory and such hope in you, such love and mercy and salvation in your Son. And Lord, this is what we seek to spread to the world. It's, it's you. So Lord, we just uh, end today with just saying we love you, and Lord, make us, again, just make us bold and courageous to listen and hear what you lay upon us and send us forth with your blessing. Amen.